We'll hear argument next in number 92-1550, ABF Freight System versus National Labor Relations Board. Mr. Jansonius. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, remedies in unfair labor practice cases are public remedies. The issue in this case is whether an individual who testifies in an unfair labor practice case under oath and who testifies untruthfully may share in the remedy that may be entered at the conclusion of that proceeding. This case was filed as a consolidated case involving several dock workers who worked for ABF Freight System in Albuquerque. Ironically, the only one of those dock workers to prevail in this case is Mr. Michael Mansell. Mr. Mansell was discharged on August 17, 1989, ostensibly for being late for work that day. At the hearing in Albuquerque, he testified as to the reason he was late for work, said that his car had broken down on the way in, that he had to call his wife and that she came and picked him up and then took him on to work, at which time he was pulled over by a highway patrolman. The judge heard all that testimony, and the judge concluded that Mr. Mansell was lying in testifying as to his reason for being late for work that day. In an adversary system uh, for resolving disputes, we believe that the oath that a witness takes is absolutely vital, that it's fundamental to the process. The first step to correctly applying the law is to decide the facts correctly in the first place, and a witness who does not honor the oath uh, makes that process uh, much more difficult for the courts and, in this case, for the administrative law judge. Perhaps more than in, in any other context in the federal system, uh, a correct outcome on the facts in unfair labor practice cases is dependent on witnesses honoring their oaths. In the, whether or not a complaint is even to be filed in the first instance is normally decided by counsel for the general counsel or by the regional offices on the, of the NLRB simply based on affidavits. Uh, individuals who give statements to the NLRBs are under oath and their, their statements are taken at face value for the most part and whether or not there's even going to be a case depends on whether that individual is, is giving a true affidavit. Do federal courts deny people relief because of perjured testimony? They have that discretion, Your Honor. They don't necessarily do it. I'm not aware of any cases where an individual who has been found to have testified untruthfully to a federal district judge has been awarded relief. They have that discretion? Can, can I, as a judge, even though the plaintiff is entitled to judgment in the case, uh, say uh, you're entitled to judgment, but I'm not going to give it to you because you perjured yourself here? Can a federal judge do that? Uh, in a particular context, a federal judge might be able to do that. I'm not aware of, of in any, any situation. He might be. Might be. But he might not be, too. Might not be, Your Honor. You don't know, in other words. That's, that's, that's okay. correct, Your Honor. I do know the unfair labor practice process, though, followed by the NLRB. And I think that in the context of unfair labor practice proceedings, it's particularly important that the oath be honored. What, what if uh, a, a representative or a, uh, of management of the employer lies under oath? 
at the NLRB proceeding? What's the rule? Well, the, the, Even if it turns out that uh, notwithstanding what clearly was a lie on some point, that the employer is entitled uh, to judgment. If, if I'm following you, are saying what, what is the situation if a representative of management testifies yes. untruthfully and yes. the company nonetheless prevails in the case? Well, th under the law and the facts, the, the company should prevail. Mm -hmm. What must be done there? Must relief be denied under your rule? A per se rule? I think there are two possibilities. Number one, if there has been no unfair labor practice, I'm not certain that the NLRB has jurisdiction to do anything about it. I do think that, uh, assuming that they do have jurisdiction, uh, that they have remedial power, that they could craft a remedy in that situation, that they could deal with it. They, for instance, could make the uh, employer post a notice explaining to employees what they did in the unfair labor practice proceeding. They could be perhaps required to give a union representative equal time to come into the plant, tell the employees, we had an unfair labor practice case, we lost in that unfair labor practice case, here's why, but uh, you must know that the employer did so and so. Uh, there are a variety of remedies that I think the NRB would have in that situation, but assuming that it has you, you wouldn't suggest a per se rule there? Well, I, I, I might, Your Honor, presented with the uh, situation. I, I'm not aware of that situation did, coming let, before Let us. me ask you this. Did, did this employer introduce evidence that under every circumstance, if they had an employer they discovered who had lied, the employer would be discharged, that that was the, the rule of the employer? That specific evidence was not presented, but the evidence was presented in the sense that it's in our collective bargaining agreement that dishonesty is grounds for immediate termination. Mm -hmm. So certainly the collective bargaining representatives or the, the union representatives and the management representatives that negotiated the contract felt that dishonesty was a serious offense. But as we take this case, the employee was not discharged for dishonesty but for other things. That's true. And that's how it comes to us anyway. That, that's true, and the, uh, I will tell you that the evidence on that particular point was somewhat equivocal. And that yeah, maybe but I mean, we take it on that basis. Take, yes, you do. Yes, you are, do. are you prevented from discharging the employee now because of the dishonesty that you uh, learn he has engaged in, that you now know he's engaged in? I, I think we could, Your Honor. I'm not sure how the collective bargaining agreement applies in that situation, whether that would be a contractual issue between uh, ABF and, and its uh, union representative. Do you think the board would have some problem with that? I'm sure they would have some problem with it, but I, I think we would be legally justified in terminating him. The contractual issue is one I'm not familiar with on the procedures under the national master. Why isn't this case a standoff on lying? The ALJ found that a couple of the uh, employer's uh, witnesses also lied. Uh, Your Honor, I don't, I don't think he made that finding. He, he did discredit some of the employer's witnesses on uh, some comments that supposedly were made when Mr. Manso returned to work on one occasion. He used much stronger language in characterizing Mr. Manso's testimony, and I think there was a reason for that. Uh, it was very clear that Mr. Manso was not just mistaken on the facts or had a faulty memory. He was contriving a story that was not true. I don't think... Well, how does that differ? There were three officers who, according to Manso, said... Watch out, the boss is gunning for you. And they said, we never said any such thing. Now, if they said that, why aren't they out and out lying? Well, there could be a number of explanations for it. They, they could simply have forgotten. It could be a statement that was uh, blown out of context. It might be something that their memory of the event differs from Mr. Manso's memory of the event. I don't think that you can say necessarily that because a witness's testimony is not credited that they're being deliberately untruthful in the, their testimony. The, the ALJ says... 
I believe Manso. He said he was told the boss is gunning for you. These witnesses have taken an oath that that never happened. Why aren't they lying? Well, I don't think that, that you can make that assumption that they're lying because uh, the events that had occurred were, were months it, in advance isn't of that. The, isn't when the ALJ says, I credit Manso, is necessarily saying, I discredit these others? He is saying that. He is saying that. I don't think he is saying that they have come into the courtroom and deliberately given false testimony. Mr. Jansoni, you're willing to settle for a standoff, aren't you? Aren't you willing to say, okay, we both lied and neither one of us should get any relief? Isn't the difference that, that the other liar is getting relief? Your client's not getting any relief well, in the court. So even if they are both lying, all you're asking is that both liars be treated equally. Neither one of them gets any relief. Well, that's, that's true. Fair, I, I would it? be satisfied with that. I don't, uh, I, I don't like the equation, though, that, uh, that our witnesses lied, and I don't think that uh, well, you can there, say that they were speaking for the corporation. In giving relief to the side that's lying mm-hmm. and in, in giving relief to nobody at all. Yes, I agree with that. And the fact is, is that we are uh, not contesting the, the uh, total award entered by the, the NLRB. Your position as a matter of law, as I understand it, is that even if an employee's, uh, of the, uh, even if a, a management representative testifies blatantly falsely, and in all other respects that the uh, charge should fail against the employer, you wouldn't say that, well, you go ahead and grant relief against that uh, company because they're guilty of blatant falsehoods, would you? I'm not sure I'm following the question, Your Honor, but I don't think the you question can assume... The whether the rule you're asking for is even-handed. And I just assume the same kind of perjury on the other side of the fence that, that occurred here. Would that automatically decide who wins the, the proceeding? Well, it's, it's not a liability issue. We have lost the case, technically. We did not, we're not contesting... Just on the, on the remedy. Just on the remedy. Uh, we are not contesting at this stage anymore the, the uh, finding of an unfair labor practice being committed. I would like to point out, though, that... Mr. Jan, you wouldn't be even-handed? You, you, you would not argue for the same rule if the employer was seeking relief from the board and the employer lied? You, you'd say if employers lie, they can get relief, but if employees lie, they cannot get relief? Oh, no, I'm not saying that at all. So you would treat the employer even-handedly. If, if yes. he were seeking relief from the board and it was shown that the employer perjured himself, you wouldn't give the employer relief either, or, or at least not, uh, not the kind of relief that, uh, that, that's equivalent to the, uh, the, the back pay and, and rehiring here. No, I wouldn't. I, I think that it, uh, sometimes employers are charging parties in unfair labor practice cases. It's not, not very often that they sometimes are, and if they do go in and abuse the process, I don't think they should be given relief. You have a little tougher issue with employers, though, and it's because uh, sometimes the, uh, it's not the officers, the directors, or the uh, shareholders of the corporation who are acting, but individuals who are testifying on behalf of the company who just do not Doesn't hold Doesn't that truth. point out one likely difficulty if we were to adopt your rule, Mr. Jensonis? Uh, it would complicate the procedures before the ALJ and the board because you'd have a lot of what you might call satellite litigation, or at least satellite determinations, you know, much concentration on was this particular witness lying or did he, was he merely mistaken or something like that? I don't think you would, Your Honor. We're not asking the uh, administrative law judges to change the way they go about deciding cases. They, they uh, are, are normally very judicious. They normally are refrained from making those strong what's, determinations. What's wrong with saying it's, uh, this answer on the part of the employee, that, that even if it's a bad answer, it's good enough for a bad charge, because if the, if the, if the lateness is a, is a phony excuse, if the, if the 
employer wants to get rid of this employee because he's been uh, pro-union, and then the employer makes up as the reason the lateness, why should, shouldn't the employee, I'm going to try to save my neck and for this bad charge, I'm going to give an answer that will help me stay. Uh, why should why why shouldn't the board the board's position is we have to be sensitive mm -hmm. and situation specific in our analysis mm -hmm. of this? Why should you come and say, board, you must defend your honor, and any time anybody lies to you, no relief? Well, the employee has a choice to make. They can go in and tell the truth, or they can go in and 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 tell a lie. Well, I think. But it's it's a it's a question of our the authority we can exercise over the board. Even, even assuming uh, for the moment that the rule you suggest has some merit to it, don't you have to tell us that the board is arbitrary in not adopting that rule? I don't think we have to prove arbitrariness, although I think it exists here. The court has... Well, well how else can we uh, reverse the board's determination? Well, the, uh, under the statute, the, I guess the, the issue is whether awarding uh, relief reinstatement and back pay to somebody who has deliberately given false testimony will effectuate the purposes of the act. Isn't the legal proposition that you're putting forth that the National Labor Relations Board is arbitrary if it fails to adopt a rule uh, that refuses to relief, relief to any employee who lies? Lies, I suppose, on a material matter. Uh, yes, we're, I believe that it is... Uh, 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 an arbitrary position, if not a, just an erroneous as a matter of law position for the NLRB to state that someone who abuses the process by coming in and giving false testimony is entitled to back pay and reinstatement and that doing that will effectuate the purposes of the act. I don't see how the board can make that, uh, make that case that putting somebody back to work, giving them back pay in this situation is going to effectuate the purposes of the act. And I think that is, is uh, why the Congress assigned this court with supervisory responsibility over the board there have been many instances over the years where this court uh, looked at NLRB remedies and made the conclusion that what the NLRB did perhaps ran afoul or interfered with other federal policies and, and uh, uh, corrected the board on the remedy that it entered. And this is one of those situations where I believe that is appropriate. I think it's particularly appropriate in the NLRB context uh, just because of the nature of the proceedings themselves. We have very few safeguards for truth in unfair labor practice proceedings. The oath is perhaps one of them. The board serves as, as prosecutor. They serve as judge. They serve as jury. They hear the first level of appeal. There is no discovery. There is no way for an employer like ABF to know in advance of a hearing what the government's evidence is going to be, who their witnesses are going to be, what they're going to say. You can't even get statements from individuals who have given affidavits to the National Labor Relations Board until they actually take the stand at, at uh, the hearing and even then only after they've testified. Uh, Mr. Gensonius, this would be a rather sweeping proposition if the court were to accept it. How many other agencies are there like the NLRB with, who deal with the truthfulness of what witnesses say? Are you, are you suggesting that every federal agency must take the position that one who doesn't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth doesn't get individual relief? Your Honor, I, I can't answer the first part of your question, how many other agencies there are. I'm very familiar with the National Labor Relations Board, and in proceedings like this, if there are other federal agencies that have a similar adjudicatory process, I think the rule should apply to them. There are very few safeguards for truth in unfair labor practice proceedings, and the oath in this context is particularly uh, 
uh, important. Uh, an employer or a union. But you, you're not familiar with any such rule that, that a trial, say a trial judge is, is having a bench trial and doesn't believe some of the things that plaintiffs mm-hmm. says, that that judge must then deny relief to the plaintiff. No, in the, in the civil litigation system, I'm not aware of any, any rule of that effect. Uh, I do think it's the, the practical reality of, of litigation in the federal district courts that individuals whose testimony is discredited on material points don't prevail. It doesn't what, about, what about courts of equity, Mr. Chansonius? Do you think a court of uh, equity, uh, who, which has various forms of relief available, couldn't say we're going to give one form of relief rather than another? because you affronted the court by perjuring yourself? Yes, I think... think a court of equity would do that? I think a court of equity would be uh, in a position to craft a remedy that's appropriate in this case. I think the How many other federal agencies are there besides the Labor Board that have such a variety of remedies, varieties of forms of relief that they can give in a particular proceeding? I mean, it's, it's not like the usual uh, litigation where you find for the plaintiff and give him his damages, or you don't. Uh, the board has a lot of varieties of relief it can give. Are there a lot of other federal agencies that are in that situation? Your Honor, I wish I could answer that. I just don't know. I, I do know that the NLRB has very broad discretion and can And, and I can thought your point remedies. was that the board used to do it the, the way you, you now suggest, and it didn't seem to slow down the proceedings uh, very much. No, I don't think it slowed down proceedings at all, and I do think at one point in time the board had a uh, pretty much the uh, the attitude that I'm advocating they should take now, that uh, one who's given false testimony is not going to be given uh, a, a share of the public remedy. Uh, and your source was saying that that is a matter of law. Maybe if that was the board decided how it wanted to proceed, that would be one thing, but you say, what, what compels the board to take that view? Your Honor, what compels the board to take that view is, I, uh, I believe, uh, number one, starting with Section 1 of the Act, which sets out the purposes, I, I don't see that uh, reinstating someone with back pay and giving them, them uh, money damages or, or uh, reinstatement is going to effectuate any of the purposes set out in Section 1 of the Act. I believe Section 10C of the Act uh, uh, makes some remedies uh, non-discretionary with the board and makes it clear that they have to uh, enter some forms of affirmative relief. out of the equity mold into the strict law mold. Yes. uh, I think what really separates this case from the standard unfair labor practice case where the discretion has been accorded the board to mold the remedies under Section 10C with very little review is the fact that we do have other policies that come into play here. Typically, the NLRB is deciding strictly labor disputes that don't have ramifications that go outside the National Labor Relations Act where other federal policies are impacted. This one does. And that's why I think it's appropriate for the court here to take a, a hand in directing the board and supervising it and what remedies are to be entered in this uh, rather narrow context. But there's no, uh, no provision in the statute that directly addresses it, and I can't imagine that Congress really thought of this situation, what's going to happen with the charging party who come in, comes in and lies, and what should the board do then? Uh, Congress was concerned when it considered the National Labor Relations Act about the lack of safeguards for truth when, when the... Uh, bill was originally considered in the Senate, it specifically provided that the rules of evidence were not to apply. Uh, that was a subject of some debate in Congress, uh, and there was a lot of testimony that this was, uh, before the Congress at the time, that this was not a good policy, that the rules of evidence should be applied, and, and after debating the issue, Congress did a turnaround and made Section 10, put in Section 10B that the federal rules of evidence were to be applied insofar as practicable 
in unfair labor practice proceedings, and I think that indicated that Congress had some concern with the lack of, of safeguards for truth in the unfair labor practice context and, and uh, did what they could to see that the oath was made a part of the process. Uh, Your Honors, through its, through its brief, uh, through its brief, the Solicitor General has, has argued that the NLRB, uh, that its order in this case does effectuate the purposes of the Act. Uh, ABF would submit to this Court that the, uh, the government's attorneys are putting words in the mouth of the NLRB. There is no finding in the NLRB's decision and order that reinstating Mr. Manso with back pay will effectuate the purposes of, of the Act, and there certainly is no explanation in the Board's decision and order about how reinstating a witness who has given false testimony uh, is going to effectuate the purposes but of the there, act. There was deference to the board's judgment. I, I, the, the expert judgment in handling these labor problems. Uh, generally, there is deference to the board's expertise in handling labor disputes and taking actions that will prevent labor strife. I don't think that this is a context where the board has shown that it uh, has an expertise in the subject matter at issue, and I don't think that the board's uh, decision and order gives any explanation for the court that would enable you to say that uh, they were acting uh, properly to effectuate the purposes of the act. There simply isn't any discussion in the decision and order about how uh, giving a remedy to somebody who has given false testimony is going to effectuate the purposes of the act. Uh, ABF would urge the court that as a, as a strict proposition that reinstating someone, giving someone back pay in this context will not effectuate the purposes of the act points I'd like to make in that regard. First, uh, as I said in my opening comment, getting at the true facts of a case is the first step to correct, correctly applying the law. If a witness is not going to honor the oath, that's going to interfere with the NLRB's and any other agency's ability to get at the true facts and to correctly apply the law. So just from a, a very broad proposition, a witness who is not telling the truth is undermining an agency's ability to enforce and protect the purposes of the statute. Uh, there are other reasons as well why I believe that uh, uh, the board's order in this case cannot possibly effectuate the purposes of the act. First of all, uh, I think it's, it's uh, just common sense that putting someone like Mr. Manso back to work uh, is going to be saddling ABF with a contractual relationship with someone who it has very good grounds not to trust, and there's certainly going to be a loss of respect between the uh, employer and employee, and I don't think that a working relationship with someone who has taken advantage of the system and the employer the way Mr. Manso has could be said to uh, do anything to reduce labor strife or to promote the free flow of commerce. I think that uh, the act, uh, the purposes of the act are frustrated in this context by encouraging false claims. Uh, the NLRB is going to look like a very friendly forum to charging parties, and it should be a receptive forum. I'm not saying that otherwise, but it's going to be, look like a system where uh, the government can be taken advantage of, and I don't think that effectuates the purposes of the Act. I think the remedy that the Board has ordered in this case undermines ABS collectively uh, bargained uh, grievance procedure. Mr. Manso went through the grievance procedure. A, a three- or six-member panel equally composed of labor and management concluded that he should not be put back to work concluded that he was not entitled to back pay. Uh, given what's happened, I think that the grievance committee that ABF has negotiated with the, uh, with the uh, uh, local union of the Teamsters is going to look like a less receptive form and there's going to be more tendency to try and sidestep the grievance procedure, uh, knowing that the NLRB is going to be more forgiving of those who try to take advantage of a system. For all those reasons, 
I think that uh, the board's order in this case, or in any similar context, is not effectuating the purposes of the act. And again, I would say that I think that the NLRB needs to uh, be reminded that it does not uh, apply the act in a vacuum. This court has said several times that other considerations have to be taken into account when crafting unfair labor practice remedies. It did so in Shurtan, it did so in Detroit Edison, it did so in Lackmerits, uh, done so in other cases. And uh, the NLRB in this case did apply the act in a vacuum. They did take a very narrow reading of public policy and looked strictly at the National Labor Relations Act instead of taking other concerns into account, which we believe that they are compelled to do. And we believe that this court as a supervisor over the NLRB should uh, make it clear to them that they've got to uh, take the oath seriously, that it is a public policy, that it be honored, and uh, that should be uh, made a stronger part of the National Labor Relations Act. Unless there are other questions, I'll reserve my time. Uh, very well, Mr. Jansonius. Mr. Wallace, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Under uh, the limited grant of certiorari in this case, the question presented is a legal question about the Board's remedial authority. And uh, as Petitioner recognizes, that remedial authority is a creature of statute. It's set forth uh, in Section 10C of the National Labor Relations Act, which is reproduced in full in the appendix to the certiorari petition, the white-covered certiorari petition, at page C5, toward the very end of the appendix to the petition. It's a rather lengthy provision, but there are two uh, discrete portions of it that have relevance here. Uh, the first is uh, at about ten lines down in the middle of the sentence, uh, beginning close to the beginning of the line. After the board has found that there's an unfair labor practice, it uh, ordinarily issues a cease and desist order, and it's authorized then and to take such affirmative action, including reinstatement of employees with or without back pay, as Where will are it, you reading? Uh, I, I am about ten lines down on page C5. Thank you. Uh, about ten lines down within subsection C. Uh, the board is authorized to take such affirmative action including reinstatement of employees with or without back pay, as will effectuate the policies of this act. And then about 12 lines from the bottom of this provision, there is a sentence that begins uh, just past the middle of the line that says, no order of the board shall we require the reinstatement of any individual as an employee who has been suspended or discharged or the payment to him of any back pay if such individual was suspended or discharged for cause. Except for that provision, one searches in vain for a, an express limitation in the statute on the board's remedial authority in ordering reinstatement or back pay in accordance with the board's judgment of what will effectuate the policies of the act. And in this case, there was 
a determination made by the board on page B21 of the appendix to the petition that this was not a discharge for cause, that the cause given was a pretext for discrimination. That finding was upheld by the Court of Appeals on pages A14 to A18 of the appendix to the petition. And uh, that uh, question is not at issue here under the court's limited grant of jurisdiction. So the only express limitation in the statute that the courts uh, obviously would have to consider enforcing against the board in limiting its remedial authority is not applicable here. And the question becomes, uh, as Justice Kennedy very aptly phrased it in his question, whether the board was arbitrary in, uh, has been arbitrary in the standards it has adopted in uh, det determining when reinstatement and back pay uh, will effectuate the policies of the act. Or an abuse of discretion. Right? Say arbitrary, capricious, and abuse of discretion, it, it, or otherwise it, not in accordance with law, it, it, as the APA says. Uh, that and the contention here is that it's an abuse of discretion, I, I, I gather, substantially. Well, the court has formulated it in numerous ways, many of which we collected in our brief. Um, the, the, one, the first uh, decision of this court dealing specifically with the question of reinstatement was the 191 41 decision um, uh, uh, written by Justice Frankfurter for the court in the Phelps Dodge case. And we have set out um, uh, a relevant quotation from that on the very last page of our brief, uh, in which the court upheld in that case the board's authority to order reinstatement as a remedy for employees who had found other employment and were not entitled to back pay. The court emphasized that because the relation of remedy to policy, which is the statutory criterion, is peculiarly a matter for administrative confidence, courts must not enter the allowable area of the board's discretion and must guard against the danger of sliding unconsciously from the narrow confines of law into the more spacious domain of policy. Mr. Wallace, is there any doubt that the lie told here in this legal proceeding of which this is the last stage, uh, the Court of Appeals being the intermediate stage. Is there any doubt that it was perjury, a felony under federal law? There's no real doubt about that, that it was, it was material to the proceeding. Well, it was found to be purposeful. Uh, material to the proceeding. Uh, 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 by the administrative law judge and the board uh, express no disagreement with that. Well, I, I find it, 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 to my mind it is. Uh, I, I just don't think there's, there's much of a doubt about it. And, and with that in mind, I am just astounded. I, I never thought I would read a Justice Department brief in those circumstances which says a lie uttered by an employee trapped in these somewhat unusual circumstances may reasonably be characterized as less deserving of sanction than a lie given by an employee who has not endured a similar history of mistreatment by the employer. And the employee's adherence to his story before the ALJ, the felony, though unjustifiable, felonies are unjustifiable, is understandable. 
Will this be posted, uh, required to be posted in the employee's uh, place of employment when this, uh, uh, when, when this uh, a perjurer is, is compelled to be rehired so that everyone who goes to, uh, to NLRB proceedings uh, will, will understand how understanding the board and the Justice Department is of perjury in NLRB proceedings? Well, uh, Mr. Justice, um, we certainly would not disclaim the authority to prosecute uh, for perjury in this case or any other, and we have collected cases in our brief in which the board has referred uh, matters to the Justice Department for prosecution. This is in page uh, ni- uh, footnote 19 on page 27 of our brief when there has been perjury in proceedings before the board. And um, as uh, there are remedies for perjury um, which do not uh, require a distortion of uh, the board's remedial authority in deciding what the appropriate remedy is for an, uh, a proven unfair labor practice. Which, uh, also says in its brief that the board, however, has discretion in determining how best to protect its integrity while effectuating the policies of the act. What about the court's integrity, uh, who ultimately uh, permit the enforcement of these orders? Do uh, uh, you think it's, 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 it's no uh, imposition upon the integrity of the courts? who must accept the, uh, the, the fact-finding proceedings held by the NR, NLRB? Well, something of, of that flavor uh, comes through in the precision window opinion, which uh, said that uh, uh, the, the board is not entitled, uh, the board is barred from uh, awarding reinstatement or back pay uh, to in favor of a charging party who has uh, lied in the proceedings before the board. I, I would mention, however, that uh, uh, the, the court did not take the position that it was barred from upholding the board's uh, entry of a cease and desist order. Uh, the question ultimately has to be whether the board acted beyond its authority. That is all the court is being asked to determine when uh, the question before the reviewing court is whether to enforce the board's order. Whether it was an abuse of discretion in granting this remedy. This particular remedy. The remedies whether, that were available. Whether the remedy should have been so a more limited individual who had perjured himself in the course of the board's well, proceeding. As um, uh, the board recognized in the same Phelps-Dodge case back in 1941 with respect to reinstatement, and as this court has emphasized uh, in that case and in the Golden State case much more recently, there is a public dimension to this relief. This is not relief uh, uh, just for an individual. Uh, the reinstatement remedy in particular, as the board emphasized in Phelps Dodge, is uh, one uh, uh, that uh, reassures other present and future employees of the same employer that uh, discrimination based on anti-union animus or protected conduct under the Act uh, 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 will uh, be remedied. And there is the, also a public dimension, is there not, Mr. Wallace, to being understanding of perjury in the course of NLRB proceedings? Does that have no public dimension either? Uh, 
there there are many credibility determinations to be made in labor board proceedings. It is not always clear, as uh, this court's opinion last term in St. Mary's Honor Center uh, very eloquently and emphatically pointed out, that every um, uh, determination that the credibility of one witness rather than another is to be upheld uh, means that the witness whose credibility is not uh, being honored has, is a liar or a perjurer, has deliberately told a lie rather than misrecollected something or was confused about but, something. But in, in, in this case, uh, isn't, it, isn't it true that the ALJ stated that the person lied? In this case, it happened to be an easy determination because this particular story had earlier been told to the employer and the employer had investigated it and disproved it. It happened to be something that could easily be determined in this particular case. But my point is a point that you yourself made in a question earlier, Mr. Chief Justice, that if it becomes a legally dispositive question whether uh, a, a rejection of a witness's testimony uh, is based on uh, a, a determination that that witness was deliberately lying, then uh, the other party in the case can ask the board to make that determination. Why, Why so? Case. Why couldn't we just say that when the board does make that determination, when the board says for all the world to see, this plaintiff is a perjurer, the board shall not then go on to say, and we're going to require the company to give him his job back without requiring the board to make that determination, but if it makes the determination and announces publicly that, 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 that the, the person seeking relief is a perjurer, why is it unreasonable to say it's an abuse of discretion to then go on and say, and we're going to give him, give him uh, relief? Well, since there uh, was no... I mean, it, it, it is a gratuity in uh, the uh, determination of the case to have made that pronouncement or if it's a, a, a legally important determination, uh, others could ask that it be determined in other cases. I don't think so, it, 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 but it, it's a question of whether it fulfills the purposes of the act. Once that, once that announcement has been made on the record, whether it fulfills the purpose of the act, then to reinstate the person in, in his employment, who then can strut around and say, yes, I lied in my proceeding, didn't hurt me a bit. I got reinstated, I got my money back. <laughs> Does that fulfill the purpose of the... Well, the, the board is quite uh, uh, conscious of the need to protect the integrity of its processes. And um, uh, as the Lear-Siegler case, which we discussed at some length, demonstrates, it has, uh, uh, on occasion, using its standards, uh, told back pay... Um, uh, uh, when uh, there has been misconduct in the board proceeding. Um, in, in this case, Mr. Wallace, the board didn't make any finding that uh, this particular individual had lied, as I recall. As you point out, the administrative law judge made it, and the board simply so. didn't deal with the question. Precisely so, because the board did not consider it determinative of what the appropriate remedy should be. The well, in, in Lear-Siegler, the board was uh, upset that an employee or that uh, had, had manipulated a witness. And the board was very protective of its own turf, saying that you've interfered with our processes. 
but in Owens, Illinois, the board awarded reinstatement to a line employee because the employer had not demonstrated that the employee was unfit. Uh, so it, it, it seems to me that you, you, you give uh, very, uh, very little consideration to the injury that the employer faces when the employer has to uh, mount the burden of proving perjury, which the employer in this case did. The, the, uh, the board does make a distinction between back pay and reinstatement. Uh, it, it will uh, uh, toll back pay uh, 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 if there has been misconduct or misuse of its proceedings as a means of protecting the integrity of its proceedings. But it explained in Lear Siegler that that is not in itself a sufficient reason to deny reinstatement of an employee as a remedy for an unfair labor practice because of the importance uh, of uh, reinstatement to protecting the rights of co-workers. What they are aware of is not what happened at the board proceeding. What they are aware of is that somebody was discharged for exercising his rights under the act. But the board says uh, uh, in Lear Siegler that reinstatement will be denied if the misconduct uh, uh, renders the employee unfit for further employment. Well, what if the employer's rule is that any employee who commits a felony is, is not eligible for continued employment with us and perjury is a felony? That's our rule. Now, does the board take that into account? Uh, it, that would be part of what the employer could show in showing that the particular employee was unfit. I do want to caution that there has been no conviction of a felony in this case. Uh, what the administrative law judge found would, if proven in a perjury prosecution now in my, accordance my, with the proper procedural didn't, didn't refer to convictions. It said felons, people who commit felonies, will no longer be employees of ours. And, and here we have a finding of perjury, in effect. Under the board's practice, that is, uh, that would be relevant to a showing by the employer uh, that the employee was unfit because of his misconduct in the board proceedings for reinstatement. No such showing was made in this case. The, the grant of certiorari is limited to the question of whether the board is automatically disabled from uh, ordering back pay and reinstatement, it's normal remedies for an unlawful termination if, if, if an employee, the employee lied purposefully. If, if there were an applicant for employment with the Department of Justice and it was known that he committed uh, the felony of perjury, would you say, oh, well, uh, we have to counsel that there's been no conviction here? If all conceded that there had been a, a, a felony committed? Well, uh, we certainly would take it seriously in the Department of Justice. and uh, Isn't the employer entitled to take it just as seriously in his workplace? The, uh, the board's rule is that uh, uh, lying or committing a felony uh, can be just cause for discharge. That was not the cause for discharge in this case. 
and um, if uh, Manso or anyone else were uh, to engage in that kind of misconduct on the job in the future, um, and the employer wanted to terminate him for that reason, the employer could do so, and it would be a termination for cause. All the act prohibits is discrimination for exercising the rights protected by the act, which is what was found to have been done here. And the remedial question is all in the context of what has been proven in proper proceedings, which is not a felony, but an unfair labor practice by the employer, and whether the board should uh, apply its normal remedies for the unfair labor practice. There uh, were statements made uh, by both sides in this proceeding that the board uh, determined to have been false. Uh, the board had no occasion to, uh, even the ALJ had no occasion to decide whether the three supervisors testifying on behalf of the employee, uh, of the employer, had been purposefully lying, although the circumstances of, of rejecting the credibility of their testimony would suggest that it's quite probable that they were. So it's quite probable that several felonies were committed by persons on both sides here. Uh, it, it just happens that it was uh, uh, a little more obvious there was something transparently foolish about uh, uh, the charging party's testimony here because it had already been disproven on a prior occasion. Uh, uh, the difference is that the board is not giving any relief to the other liar. I'm not, I'm not asking that the board go around punishing liars. I'm just asking that it not give relief. Well, it's not giving relief. Isn't, isn't there, that too much to ask? But uh, if the normal back pay and reinstatement remedy is denied, then the employer is benefiting from the outcome of the proceeding in a way that other employers who engage in the same unlawful conduct would not benefit. Not uh, a distinct monetary benefit in comparison with his competitor down the street, for example. Mr. Wallace, did, did, I, I don't, do you, uh, you contend that the, that the board did not accept the district judge's finding that, uh, that this story was a fabrication? The board's opinion refers to, refers to uh, uh, Manso's story. The respondent checked his story and ascertained it was largely a fabrication. And later in the board's opinion, it refers to Manso's false explanation. This is the same explanation he gave before the administrative law judge, isn't it? Well, it, 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 it recited this and, and, and took no it. exception to it. It, 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 it didn't treat... Was that referring to the sworn testimony or the explanation to the employer? He said well, he was late for work and he gave a yes, reason for being late for work. He really just repeated was the one same, the same. story. I think, I think uh, you're right, uh, Justice Stevens, that as, as it was referred to in recounting the earlier facts, it was referring to the earlier version of the story. The story was essentially the same in, uh, in, in both places. Uh, um, well, there's nothing in, in this record that tells us how the employer in this institution has treated um, people who don't tell the truth. Other, no routine practice. It couldn't but don't necessarily, we don't know whether they do or they don't, whether this is one of a kind. Or that is correct, Justice Ginsburg. Um, uh, uh, the, the employer would have had an opportunity in the board proceedings of which it did not avail itself to show that under the board's established approach, the Owens, Illinois, Lear, Siegler approach, uh, this employee was not entitled to the remedies 
because uh, he was unfit under the employer's criteria, uh, under criteria that would be applied not in a discriminatory fashion only against somebody uh, who tried to exercise rights under the Act, but to any employee. Uh, and Mr. Wallace, can I ask you, I take it you would agree that this is a, a Chevron-type case. You rely on Chevron to some extent, don't you? Yes, would you agree that uh, the discretion of the board is broad enough so that you could adopt the rule that the other side advocates, that, that any employer, any employee who was found to have perjured himself in a board proceeding shall never get the remedy of reinstatement? Well, I, I think so, and, and we, we think, think you so. you go further and say that any employee who lies about the reason he was late for work shall never be reinstated? Uh, the, the board uh, would be acting beyond its authority if it were an arbitrary uh, uh, effort to effectuate the policies of the Act or if it were um, inconsistent with the way the board normally handles these cases and the board is not announcing a reasoned change in, in its approach to the cases uh, as a general matter, but it's just arbitrarily singling someone out. That was really what I was trying to get at at the outset by looking at the statute, except for the one uh, uh, prohibition in the statute on ordering uh, back pay or reinstatement uh, of an employee who has been discharged for cause. The question of prophylactic rules is a question left to the board's discretion in effectuating the policies of the act under um, uh, the, the, uh, the general uh, conferral of authority. Well, given that discretion, is the answer to Justice Stevens' question that, that, yes, the board could go that far and, and adopt that strong a rule? Well, it, it could if, if its rationale were that the rule were needed uh, to effectuate the policies of the Act, uh, which do require that the board hearings be conducted with uh, accurate testimony before it and that can it rely on a sworn statements and the rest of it. But the board has taken a, a, a more balanced approach. There are other purposes of the Act to be effectuated as well. And the remedies that it has, it has adopted, just as the remedies that it has adopted in cases of concealment of uh, outside earnings, um, are balanced so that there is still a disincentive for the employer to engage in unfair labor practices, along with a disincentive for the employee to conceal outside earnings, because the employee is denied part of the back pay, but the employer still has to pay part of the back pay. Mr. Wallace, isn't perjury a perjury indictment for every one of you? I mean, it, it, it's such a massive sanction. Nope, nobody's going to prosecute Manzo for this for this perjury, even though you know it's been found by the administrative law judge. I mean, well, it's it, available, it, but, but, but it's just, just not usable. Isn't that right? It was a transparent, dog-ate-my-homework kind of lie. It, it, it was rather tangential to the issues uh, uh, before. Uh, uh, as it turned out. As it, it didn't, turned didn't out. It seemed so at the time. It looked quite central when the, when the lie was made. That's, that's correct. It, it, it's not the sort of case that the board is likely to refer to the Department of Justice for a perjury prosecution, obviously. It's not the kind of pervasive, deliberate lying that, that uh, uh, is more likely to give rise to that. Um, uh, uh, and just as 
You know, uh, the board has to deal with uh, unfitness for further employment in, um, uh, because of threats made to a supervisor, a threat to kill him. It's, it's not easy always to sort out the hyperbole of the heat of the moment uh, from what is a serious threat to someone's life that may be a felony um, if made. Uh, and, uh, as Justice Frankfurter said for this court many years ago, the, the language of the picket line is not the language of the parlor. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the niceties uh, that uh, uh, prevail uh, in the courtroom are not always the ways of uh, blue-collar witnesses. The, impar- the apparent integrity of the system of justice by not announcing that you are making an award to a perjurer. Isn't, isn't that a very sensible rule? Don't make a finding of perjury and then give an award to the individual. I think that it, yeah, it, I think is a rule that would be that, within... Don't you? It, it is a rule that would be within the board's discretion under the provisions of the Act. Thank you, Mr. Wallace. Mr. Jansonius, you have four minutes remaining. Just a quick comment on Chevron, and I realize that I'm speaking to the author of the opinion and a justice who has has, uh, written law review articles on it, so I'll try to be quick. And one who was reversed on it. (laughs) Uh, And that, too. And the three don't don't agree with one another (laughs) as to what it means. Well, uh, my point on Chevron is that I'm not sure that, uh, at least I I wouldn't uh, want to take for granted that Chevron analysis applies. I think that was a different situation that involved a very complex regulatory scheme involved a set of uh, regulations that clearly were within technical expertise of the administrative agency, and it involved a situation where the... I think the board is supposed to have some technical expertise on how the labor market works? uh, On how the labor market works. I don't think they've shown that they have any expertise on how the administration of justice works, and that's really what we see this case as being. Uh, But uh, that was a complex regulatory scheme where the agency involved had very carefully evaluated the regulations in question and explained why it was doing uh, uh, what it was doing. That's not the situation here, and I I guess I throw that out only to say that uh, I wouldn't take for granted that uh, that Chevron analysis applies, but even under Chevron analysis, I think that the uh, uh, decision of the Tenth Circuit to to enforce the NLRB's order was, was clearly incorrect. Uh, Mr. Wallace stated that, that, uh, that Judge Maloney's finding about the lie was gratuitous. It wasn't gratuitous at all. Uh, to those of us who are in the courtroom, uh, particularly those of us who heard all the evidence, it was very clear what Mr. Manso was doing. He was trying to uh, uh, misuse the system for personal gain. It was a very clear attempt to uh, shape the outcome of the case, and that's why Judge Maloney felt compelled to use strong language uh, Your Honor, Congress assigned to the federal courts the power uh, and the responsibility to enforce or not to enforce. May I just ask yes. one question mm-hmm. on that? When you were before the Labor Board as opposed to the ALJ, did you ask the Labor Board to adopt the rule you're asking this court to adopt? Uh, ask the ALJ? No, no, before the Labor Board. Uh, and review of the ALJ's proceeding. Yes, we did. You asked it. We most certainly Board did, and we put it in our brief. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Congress did assign to the federal courts the responsibility uh, to enforce or not to enforce decisions by the National Labor Relations Board. Congress also assigned to this court the responsibility for drafting rules of evidence, and those rules of evidence are now statutory. None of those rules of evidence has a longer lineage. None of them is more uniformly applied. None of them is less discretionary than the we rule... You have to apply the same rule to a district court, then. Exactly. Any, anybody who... 
uh, doesn't tell the truth under oath is not entitled to uh, to um, monetary remedy. No, I'm, I'm not saying that, Your Honor. I think that the NLRB process is, is certainly peculiar enough that this court can write an opinion that's narrow to the context we're dealing with. I don't it's think it's more serious to lie to an ALJ than to a district judge. No, I, I think it's equally serious as to both. But I think the importance of having a rule. Uh, enforcing the oath is particularly important in this context. When I'm in civil court... You would say it for district judges, I assumed, if just district judges had discretion in whether to give relief or not. Well, I think that's true. I, I think is that... What's different about the board here is that the relief is discretionary. They don't have to give this relief. The, uh, they could find the employer guilty mm-hmm. and give some other kind of relief, or indeed no relief at all, I suppose. Certainly. They, the, uh, the difference that I believe exists is just in the process itself. When we're in civil court, we have... Great means to find out the true facts of a case, to get at the bottom of what happened, and to know before we go into the, the uh, courtroom uh, who's likely to tell the truth, who's not likely to tell the truth, and how do we get to the bottom of the true facts of a case. We don't have that. In- Thank you, Mr. Jansonius. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.